Welcome back to the Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Angus, and today I'm joined by a guest that is notoriously fast. I sometimes am late for trains, I miss the bus, I often have to put in a little sprint to cross the road to make sure that I get to the lights. Now, the man that I'm joined by today, I don't think has those problems. So, without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Tom Bosworth. Uh, I'm a double Olympian and for the last 14 years walking uh, was my job, I guess. Fast, very fast walking. Um, the Olympic sport is called race walking. I used to compete over 20 kilometers and I yeah got to pretty much the top of my game with a few British records, world records and, and various achievements like that. I'm now retired, thankfully. My body is very happy about that. Um, not doing the training I was, but uh, yes, still involved in sport heavily. Amazing. So walking fast um, is a relatively niche skill <laughs> as far as I, I've been aware as, as I've grown up watching it in the Olympics and that kind of thing. Um, how how does one, first of all, get into sport and then make it to, to walking? Yes. Yeah, so I just joined an athletics club aged 11, uh, Tunbridge Athletics Club, and just did that purely for fun, for fitness. Uh, I think my parents just wanted a break on Tuesday and Thursday evenings, send me and my sister down the athletics club. And yeah, at that age, we just, you just try a bit of everything, you know. Uh, I I really enjoyed long jump and I was, I've always been built to be an endurance athlete. So the running came easy and there happened to be a walks coach there and, and I just gave that a go. And I was, I was awful at it all. I really was. Um, nothing. I really enjoyed sport, but I always just thought for me, it's going to be like watching, being a fan. That's as far as my sporting uh, adventures will ever go. So athletics really became sort of a second home and I just did it for fun. There was never any desire even or dream to do anything more. Awesome. So, I mean, was athletics your only sport that you did when you were that age or were you dabbling in multiple different things as well no i did a few different sports badly um i uh i did uh, a little bit of trampolining and gymnastics um i'm now the most unflexible person in the world because of the because of the walking mate <laughs> ruined my hamstrings uh but yeah i enjoyed that and uh, and yeah i just kind of played a bit of um football and that sort of thing at school but it was never really anything that I felt comfortable with. I don't know, you know, I was always a scrawny, skinny kid and, and there were always bigger kids than me. So I was just getting smashed to pieces most of the time. So which is why athletics, non-contact sport um, and, and like the gymnastics and that sort of thing, I just did and enjoyed. When was it that you realised that endurance athletics was, was the thing that worked for your body most? Um, quite quite quickly, uh, you know, as I started to sort of enjoy the, the walking side of things and the running a bit more, I'd just do it a little bit more because I just could you know when things i guess not come naturally because as i say i wasn't the fastest but i could just go for a run or i could just go out and do the race walking um and that's kind of how i realized or how i kept doing it because i just could which i guess sounds silly but it's it would be like if i tried to pick up a shot put and start throwing that that just i just wouldn't be able to do that because i just haven't got the right body strength for for that whereas with the walking and the running i, I just did as I say, did the walking and the running start at the same time or did you naturally start off running as a, as a youngster doing sort of 5Ks competitively and then gave walking a go and figured you're also pretty good at that? Or? No, I did. I did. Um, I kind of just did it all because of the athletics club and, and competitions wise. It, it was mostly the walking, really. Um, and, and 
because I because I thought I was so bad, I never really competed. So and I wish I kind of not wish. Uh, I wonder what I could have done in terms of running if I'd given that a go. Uh, but I, well, I've always loved the walking faster than you can run aspect. So uh, that was kind of what just kept me going, and and those small improvements every few months, which were very small to begin with. Yeah, I mean, one one thing that you mentioned there is walking faster than running. <laughs> um, so actually, I've got a point to to move on to there. But what I want to cover for some people that don't have a clue what really what makes walking walking mm. and what makes running running, mm. what's the clearest definition of officially walking in a competitive sense? Yeah, I, I mean, there's the rules to race walking. Are you got to land with a straight leg, and I think that's probably the most obvious natural or unnatural movement or when you run you drive your knee up and you you all your force comes from that knee drive and push off whereas for us we'd have to land on a straight leg really land on our heel so it was almost like a braking action up of the body so that's kind of the walking definition in race walking competitively you also can't have any visible loss of contact which is what everybody knows is having both feet on you've the got, ground you've got basically. to have one foot on at all times yeah right um whereas over when you're doing that over 20 kilometers, they say visible loss of contact because if you try to take or if you try to not make three steps a mistake in 20,000 steps, no one's ever going to finish the race, if you get what yeah, I mean. Sure. So they say no visible loss of contact. It's all done by the, there's about eight judges on the course at all times watching you for both if you're not landing with a straight leg and if they can see you've got both feet off the ground and then, and then you'd ultimately get disqualified if you if you kept doing it but we're talking like no one purposely cheats because it's blatantly obvious if you just start running but it, it can be a fraction of a of a second difference yeah. and 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 you could be gone well i mean now that now that that's cleared up a little bit this is going to give perspective as to how nuts this is for me i had a, a guest on in the last podcast a guy called milo who's gone down the, the running route mm. um has got really into it Really impressive, uh, has got sub 20 in his 5K time, just over 19 minutes. That is a very, very solid time for people mm -hmm. that are not aware. Um, realistically, for the average person, anything quicker than 30 minutes for a 5K is pretty good. Um, when he was sat here, and I was talking about the fact that I had you coming on as well, and I mentioned your 5K time, which I believe is 18 minutes 20. Yeah, that's right. For walking. <laughs> yeah. Was that... Did, was that something you've seriously, seriously worked up to? Or was that a result of, you know, naturally training for your 20Ks and then you realised that you were obviously good at 5K as well? Yeah, I really enjoyed the shorter track stuff. But because my training was all tailored towards the Olympics or World Championships or Commonwealth Games, those distances are 20K. So all that training just goes into it. Um, but because of the technique, there's always going to be a bit of a limit of the speed you can get to. Um, so... Very few people have walked under 19 minutes, let alone gone low 18. I think that was like the eighth fastest 5K ever, um, which I was pretty pleased about. Rightfully, <laughs> rightfully. Um, and actually that day, I didn't realize quite how well I was going. And I said, damn, I wish I'd looked at the world record time and given that a go. And, and the shorter stuff I really did enjoy because uh, when we compete internationally, it's often on the road and the atmosphere isn't the same as in the stadium, whereas the track stuff, in a stadium, especially at a UK champs or, or you know, a big international meet, it's really good. Crowds are in there and, and I, I always used to try and get the crowds behind behind me because people were like, well, what's this walking event? What's going on here? Um, 
And when, you know, commentators would say, oh, he's on for this record or, or whatever it was, I'd really try and hype the crowd up with a lap or two to go with like my arm or if I could. Sometimes I tried if I couldn't break the motion. And and yeah, so uh, it, to walk 18 minutes is, is, I remember those, the shorter ones actually hurt sometimes more because that sort of the shape I had to put my legs through to get the turnover mm. from landing with that sort of straight leg motion. It, it it did some damage, I can I can tell you. And and what's the um difference? I mean, there's gotta be because of the technique difference, um and the different surfaces, obviously you you'd never see a sprinter running on a track without spikes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um in terms of footwear that you're using for walking, obviously with that straight leg impact into the ground mechanically, like you said, that that takes a huge toll on your body. What sort of footwear are you using for just racing flats, really. Right. And and nowadays, um some of the walkers are using carbon the the sort of new carbon plates but only the ones that have it at the front not all the way all the way through if you know anything about trainers that you know the new the new ones are at the front of like there on the on the foot under the toes you've got a plate there all that runs all the way through the foot now you've got the one that runs all the way through the shoe and you're landing like that it's going to count as a as a break Mm. so that's why some of the some of the guys are now using the ones with the sort of plate at the front because then you've got nothing stopping you there but you've got the extra help off the toe but otherwise it was all just did you use the same set of footwear for both when you're on the road but also on a on a yeah. track yeah you did okay. yeah that's interesting yeah sometimes i would have a really thin sole for on the track a real thin racing flat but they're just the same as as a running trainer basically and how often were you doing um sort of events back to back effectively because if you're doing endurance training then that's obviously very difficult to recover from i went on a relatively long run myself earlier this week and i'm still very much in the recovery phase of that <laughs> um but i can appreciate when you're in competition mode yes you might have been building up to it but the the consistent toll on your body yeah um how how back to back were they no not not often the the shorter track stuff might do one or two a month maximum but for the 20ks are a maximum once a month and probably about four or five in the entire season maybe a few more um but the actual key ones yeah th- three or four really ones you would focus on and, and and that's it um so we wouldn't get to race very often which is i loved racing i hated training but i'd average about half a marathon a day every day and um, with some sundays off sometimes um that's my training so that was that's uh repetitive that's wild and and in that training i mean when did that sort of training plan form because obviously you picked this up and when you're doing a mix of athletics through i assume your mid to late teens is Mm. where you focused on walking um when did you go full time on it on in terms of your training like like you've just mentioned yeah i i was lucky i got a place at leeds beckett university um and the they just UKA had just put a coach, sort of a lead coach, in uh, to sort of uh, give a bit of a hub, endurance hub for you know. There's triathletes up there, there's runners, there's, and they said, right, any good young walkers, you can have a place at uni if you come up and train. And because I didn't have the best grades, I didn't didn't enjoy school very much. And, um, so my mum was delighted when I got into uni based off off the walking. And yeah, I was probably training four or five times a week. Um, when I moved to Leeds in 2009, I'd made a British junior team 
uh, when I was 19, that was sort of my first senior vest. And that had come about really quickly. Uh, even when I was 17, I was probably only training two or three times a week and didn't think I was ever going to be any good. It was, again, just for fun. Um, and then I started getting a little bit better, so I trained a little bit more because you're motivated. So, at, so I ended up in this British team in May 2009 and September 2009, I was, I was in... Leads at uni all of a sudden, and and my training went from a few times a week to twice a day every day, and that was a bit of a shock. My body didn't take it very well, and that took a few years to sort of learn and kind of sort of adapt to, I guess. How did you adjust to being, um, yeah, as someone that trained two three times a week to training that much, but then also now you're doing a university degree, which for a lot of people is a huge step up from you know yeah. sixth form or college. What was that? How long did it take you to adapt? Oh, a long time. That was tough. I had to turn up. I had to, you know, you had, I was living away from home for the first time, so you have to learn to cook, clean, all these sorts of things. I could do a little bit, but when you're on your own, you're, you're on your own. So, and then time management skills and, and, and commitment to training. I was there just to train, but then, you know, training wasn't always going really well because I was being asked to train twice a day and I couldn't manage it. So I was a bit pissed off with that. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do was then go and sit in a lecture. So, it, yeah, it did. It did t- take a while. By the 2012 season, which was London 2012 Olympics, I was really motivated to to make the team, and it it came together quite well. I, I, from that season, really, I was able to handle the twice a day training. I was pretty much finishing up my studies, and I got life balance, training balance uh, right. And I, I took about three minutes off my. PB for 20k which left me just a few seconds away from that's huge yeah it was but it just shows when everything you know is it that was a result of three years worth of getting things right it wasn't just a result of a good few months and and yeah I missed out on the Olympics but I it was only by a few seconds and I said to myself I'm never going to miss a miss a major championships again um that's sort of a promise I made myself and basically from then onwards I, I qualified for every single one well, first of all, congratulations on that because that's huge. And I think one of the things that's always very apparent with the Olympics and Olympics coming up next year, this is a huge focus for a lot of athletes as well, is you get the Olympic opportunity once every four years. Yeah. And that's huge. And yes, there are other opportunities in world champs and that sort of thing. Um, as a as a person that has been to two Olympics, all right, in your head, how is the difference between preparing for the Olympics and preparing for the world champs and and any other sort of competitions that you do throughout the year? Yeah, nothing compares to the Olympics really. And it's what everybody talks about, asks you about. I remember being a a young sort of athlete where I'd go into schools or do a talk or whatever it was. And anything the kids or anybody would ask me was, are you Olympian? And hated from 2012 to 2016 having to say no. Um, And the relief, Actually, it was mad. So in the Olympic year 2016, in about February, March time, I was I was sleeping in a hypoxic tent, which is an altitude tent that goes over okay. your bed, which raises the altitude that you're sleeping at, which makes it harder to sleep. So your body's recovering slower and it's just a massive toll on your body. Just every way to mess with you is what we try to do, basically. Um, but altitude, if you've ever been skiing or stayed somewhere at altitude, you get funny dreams. But I was getting those dreams and everything, and, and I put it down to the, that to start with. But just before I'd fall asleep in Olympic year, I would 
see myself dying in a different way every 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 night every night, every night really and I, I was like what is going on this is weird as so i googled it what what it might mean and and it was um like a, an anxiety a trait of anxiety so and as soon as i acknowledged that and as soon as i realized what it was it all went away and i was like, i'm just anxious about not getting to the olympic games i'm now so close I've, at that point, I had the qualifying time. I just had to get to the trial and be picked. But everything could go so wrong in that in that time frame in those next few months that it was completely messing with my head. And obviously, I never had that in any other season. Um, and it's a multi-sport event, so you just get to meet athletes from different sports from different places all over the world. The athlete village is just insane. This little city are full of psycho athletes all trying to achieve the same thing um and that you know the media and the press and the interest behind it especially in britain we go crazy for our for our olympians so yeah it's it's super special so when when you were having those dreams and you found out that it was anxiety you said it all kind of went away was that purely because you understood that it was anxiety and that you needed to focus on that or was it actually okay this is what it is if i do things right from now to then, then there's no reason to be anxious. Yeah, it, 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 I just acknowledged it. I, I just went, whoa, I, I'm really worried about not making the Olympic Games, something getting in the way. And thankfully, it did literally just stop the next from the next night. It never came back. So it was Taking that bizarre. step back and kind of yeah. overlooking everything and figuring out what the actual problem is and then yeah. kind of thinking about that. It was so intense. Everything was so intense in terms of just training and the focus on making the games, thinking back four years prior, I'd missed it by a few seconds. All I wanted to do at this point, and my life had changed so much from never thinking I could even sort of win a race to getting a British vest to making a major championships at Commonwealth Games in 2010. Um, and I'd made a world and a Europeans by then. And suddenly my life was all about, you know, being... A successful professional athlete I, I had my first ever kit sponsor um and you know i was able to train full time um i was on lottery funding so my life had changed a lot and i just had to acknowledge that and sort of accept the responsibility and that's what life is now did, yeah did, was it almost a bit of imposter syndrome as well you know what it it, it wasn't because all i'd ever i, I I never thought I'd get there, so I, I totally get why it could look like imposter syndrome. But because every time I achieved a goal, I, my goal was never go and win the Olympics or, or break a world record or whatever. My goal was just to go and do a bit of a faster time or see if you can make this team or make this chance or make this race and finish in this place. It, and it just happened that the goals were getting bigger as right. as I climbed that that sort of international ladder, but for me it was all very real because oh well I've achieved that time, so now I'm going to try and achieve this time, and now I'm going to go and try and get a medal in this race. So it felt very real, and every time I achieved one, I, I go well that was my goal. So if I don't ever achieve anything again, I've achieved what I wanted to. Yeah. So it was very bizarre like that <laughs> that how it all ended up so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you ended up. You landed, you got yourself to the to the Olympic Village. You said it's this weird sort of place. 
I have no idea what that, I, I can't even think about what it would be like. Yeah. See, it must be very strange walking around and um, I can appreciate there's so many different athletes that you probably do recognize people that you've never met before. Mm-hmm. And Famous what, faces. Yeah what's, yeah, what's that whole situation like? That's awesome because you're like, you're an equal, you, you know, even if somebody's a bit more well-known or someone's really famous or you've seen somebody, one of your rivals who, or, or, you know, one of your heroes maybe. Uh, who's won loads of medals? Yeah, you, you you're on the same sort of planes that as they are, and that's and that's awesome. And and the village, I, I can't describe the village. The best I can say is like, I guess imagine going to private school where you all got boarding rooms and then a big canteen where you all eat and places to chill out and buses coming non-stop to take you to wherever you need to go. Um, it's got to be pretty cool knowing that the top. 0.01% of athletes in the world are all there mm. and you are one of them. Which yeah. It's got to be pretty pretty nice to know. But it was it was really humbling as well because even though my event, you know, and my my videos on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, they they sometimes go viral and people are like what is this sport? Oh, I've seen it at the Olympics or some people their minds are blown at the times I do and other people are like what is this this isn't a real sport and this this sort of thing but what I was really humbled by meeting some of the other sports that weren't track and field or perhaps weren't the big money sports football golf tennis and and realizing that so many people worked they had a job and and they trained to get themselves to the Olympic Games which is just mind-blowing because I I could not have done what I had to do to get to the Olympic Games and having a job at the same time and and I think endurance sport is a little bit trickier because of the amount of time on feet. Uh, that that's it's it's quite different in terms of if you're able to co- you you couldn't do that at like ten o'clock at night or or that sort of thing. Whereas some sports lend themselves a little bit easier to be done around work, of but course. still it, it it's that it's the mental toll, the physical toll, the recovery, um, and and I had a lot of respect for those athletes. And I would say 75% of the athletes that go to the Olympic Games work a job. That's something that growing up again, watching it, or even now watching sport, you just don't really take it into account because you see these people in, in the Great Britain uniform or yeah, their respective yeah. country and you just assume like that is what they do full, full time. time. Yeah. But often there's a whole lot of juggling going on behind the scenes to oh, yeah. get that person on the track. So when you step on the track, for the first time you're wearing the great britain olympic kit what does that feel like oh that was awful that was the first time in my life uh, I, with sport that i'd ever felt nerves um i never got no nervous really or races or anything like that because i never thought i'd be any good so okay. uh, there was never any pressure on me or i never put any pressure on myself either so yeah, when I when I looked around me and the you know Olympics everywhere and cameras and you know the road was filled with with people spectators watching and family were there and I was on the Brazilian beach what a backdrop it was incredible but yeah God it, shit got real there then yeah. to put it, put, put it bluntly and it was the first time I've ever felt nerves and I stood right at the back of the pack about 60 or 70 uh, are in qualify. There's about 70 places uh, to get get you there. And um, you can have three from each country. 
and I was the only one from Britain. So it was it was like I know these people. I race against these people all the time, but this time it feels different. And I stood there at the back, and this always makes people laugh. But I I had a I had a wee, so I just just wanted everything out. And a couple of the lads next to me were like, "Tom, what are you doing?" I'm like, "You got to do what you got to do." So <laughs> uh, everybody on the start line does it. It's grotesque, but just had to had to be ready. And I was like, "Just do what you normally do on the start line, and then focus." Um, and I just was saying to myself, oh no, you've ruined this, you're too nervous, your stomach's hurting because of nerves, it's, right. it's all gone gone wrong. And I was uh, I was hoping I could finish in the top 20, I was ranked about 30 something in the world, so that day went pretty well, I finished sixth, I broke the British record. Um, I led most of the race to be honest, I didn't intend to do that, I just stuck up to, to my plan again, just going after my goal. And nobody else really went with it. And and at one point, I dropped back down to about ninth or tenth. And I said, "No, you've you've just led the Olympic Games for three quarters of the race. Go go get yourself back up there." And I gave everything in the last few kilometers to climb back up. And I wish I had a bit more belief, because I think if I'd known that I was going to be that competitive at, at the front of the race that day, I think I would have been closer to the podium. And I was only a few seconds away, but. Yeah, uh, now I look back at it and hindsight's, hindsight's brilliant. But 100%. Well, hindsight sucks, really. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. Uh, if somebody had told me that's how this race is going to go, just believe in yourself a little bit more with 5K to go and hurt yourself a little bit more. But at the same time, I knew I hurt myself to the limit. So yeah, what can you do? But, oh, what a great day. Um, a few days later, I proposed to Harry on Copacabana Beach. And yeah, what an Olympic Games. So when did uh, you say Harry? Yeah, it was. So when did when did you meet Harry? When did Harry come into the picture? Oh, uh, I was twenty one, uh, two thousand eleven. We met um, on a bit of a random night out in York, and yeah, just he's been an incredibly special person in my life. He's motivated me. He's his commitment to he's a special needs um, deputy head teacher now, uh, and his commitment to his work to his kids has it really has inspired me to work hard and. You know, if if I sacrifice and focus, and I can I can achieve what I want to as well in 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 my line of work. And really, I probably sacrificed and achieve uh, to achieve more than I should have. I really, as you're saying, like pre Olympics, my whole life was just in that zone of being an athlete, and and it it didn't always work out well over those next few years as it all got very serious and and neglected the important people in my life badly um and then things didn't go well because that they were the important things they harry was just the stability and you know that sort of thing but i was just so tunnel vision about top being tom the athlete that i forgot that and so after the olympics sort of settled back down to life I guess those pressures lifted a little. Oh, massively. Um, and life starts to become a little bit more positive then? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, 2016, what a year. It was just it was just brilliant. Obviously, the Olympics went so well. I, I set about six British records. I was about year. to say, I was going to bring that in. You, are, they, yeah. are they all six still standing as well? Um, every, every, oh, the three world records are, the, I had seven British records. One of them's gone. The five yeah. k outdoors, so the five k indoors is still fastest. Um, yeah. So, but I, I'm kind of like I don't want them to last too long because it means no one's followed in my footsteps. Okay. So That's I'm happy take. to 
see those records fall because records are made to be broken. Um, and it, I've got, I moved the sport on to the point where if they're going to break those records, they're going to have to be one of the best in the world. And I'm really proud of that. But that's where these records should be. So, um, yeah, that, that 2016 was just was just awesome. And me and Harry were invited here, there and everywhere after the the games. And, and we got some great recognition um, for sort of being quite open about my sexuality and things like that, which in sport isn't, isn't a normal or done thing. Um, and obviously the great season I'd had. And did you find that, um, you know, in between the, the two different Olympics, that you had a huge difference in mentality, very different place in your life, very different amount of experience. What was the, what was the shift? Obviously, like you said, you had to bring in sexuality, which when you're younger and in athletics and in sports generally is a very difficult thing to talk about. But once that's out in the open and in, and it's the norm for you, I assume you're thinking about it less. Oh yeah. And, uh, you can go back to kind of being thinking about Tom, the athlete, mm. but with the added experience and, and, you know, you've already achieved so much by that point that again, more pressure coming off. Yeah. Well, yeah, more pressure coming off. I mean, I think what's really important in, in any walk of life is if you, if you focus on what you do fully, you're probably going to do it quite well, unless you're not happy with yourself, basically. So you know, I, I came out publicly is how it's always written down um, in 2015 and 2016. I had the season of my life and 2017, I broke world record and 2018, I won a Commonwealth Games medal and all this sort of thing that happened afterwards. Whether that was just timing or whether it was, you know, that last few percent of worry, you know, in the back of the mind gone. Uh, who knows? But it probably is all of the above. But then what happened was I was able to focus everything on my sport I was enjoying it mostly and and it was getting better and better I then hit the world championships in 2017 in London uh, which has been well documented I've spoken about it quite quite a lot where I was leading the world championships um, and we the British team hadn't won many medals in London in 2017 it was only Mo Farah who had won anything at that point so in my mind I was like mate it, it could be me and me and Mo could be the only medalists from this entire British team. And I was fit. I was a month before I'd set the mile world record. Um, so, uh, you know, I was on cloud nine. But that year, God, I'd been away from home for most of it. I'd been training in South Africa. Uh, I'd been training in St. Moritz and Font or Fontenot, various altitude places around the world, trying to push my body, keep myself as fit as possible. Um, and I picked a picked up a bit of a niggling knee injury and I remember that week of the race I kind of went training by myself I didn't speak to my coach I didn't speak to any of the other sort of my usual training group I really shut myself off for a bit because the pressure was now the opposite I wasn't an unknown I wasn't an unexpected I was just true you know, yeah never for example race walking you know it never gets on telly but the Olympics in 2016 was streamed on the red button with Australian commentators sort of thing. A year later at the World Championships, it was on BBC Two Sunday afternoon with Steve Cram and Paula Radcliffe commentating, who who I, I know well, and so they were bigging me up and all this sort of thing. How the world had changed in 12 months or how my world had changed in 12 months, you know, even the sort of BBC and other people were doing um, medal hopefuls and my name was now in it and all of this sort of thing so that 
the pressure and expectation was just massive and it and it got too much and I ended up getting disqualified in that race which we, we spoke about the rules earlier it it can be just a, a slight sort of push too hard on and was that one of, one of visible lifting and that was on yeah, yeah and, and I got my three red cards which you get and then you're disqualified whilst I was leading the race and if you see it on YouTube the race was on the mall in front of Buckingham Palace so the crowds there and, our, and British fans are the best but when I say they were leaning over the fence, screaming in my face as we were going around, that was an understatement. And I wanted to be, I remember walking out onto the start line and I wanted to be anywhere else bar there. And I'd never felt like that before. I wanted the world to swallow me up. So I'd taken so many painkillers to numb my bad knee. And I was just like, just get to the end. and just kill yourself in every possible way word and that's what I used to think before I would compete and how those words would come back and bite me sort of thing but I would end up disqualified and and then everything just started to fall apart really and I was in an awful place mentally because all I'd built up for was this race you know I'd sacrificed so much I had pushed Harry away my family away that um you know the next 12 months were really hard I put on a front, I'm quite an extroverted person, so people in the team know me as quite a bubbly and excited person. I was getting less and less and less of that. But I was trying to put on an act. And I, the last thing I wanted to do was a few months later, because the Commonwealth Games was so early in 2018, I was away again. I, I, I went off to... Where, uh, where did I go? Back out to South Africa. No, 2017. So I was immediately... I stayed at Angra for about a f- few weeks, then an autumn training camp, winter training camp, and then off to Australia in the spring. So I just was never at home. Um, me and Harry would just argue when I was there. He was telling me to take a break. He was telling me to take a step, step away. I was going out get, getting drunk in my off-season way more than I should have. I was just like, oh, I'm going to live a bit. Why, why, you know, why shouldn't I? It was all for nothing. And it wasn't like a spoiled brat sort of syndrome, but it was a little bit at the same time. But it was just the only way it all could come vomiting out of me, really, all that pressure that had built up. Um do you think it was also sort of punishing yourself somewhat? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because I felt I'd let my coach, my family down, Harry down, all the new fans that I'd then got and, you know, the sort of recognition that I've had over the last 12 months had gone. Um, I'd let everybody down. So, yeah, I was really destructive and, and eventually got to the point where I actually had tried to take my own life on, on two occasions, which at that point, Harry was just like, you need some help. And I'm not. I'm going to stand by you, but I'm not standing by you, while she, you unless you make some changes now and and take a break and get get some help, which I did. Him saying that meant I went to UK athletics and UK sport and spoke to the doctor there and said, "Look, this is what's going on in my head. I just keep going around in circles and ending up in a really really dark place." What can I do, sort of thing? And they were brilliant, and and they got me some help over the next few years which you know I kept hidden from from most people I didn't even tell my coach didn't tell my family I pretty much only Harry knew until I sort of spoke about it in the press in in 2020 but um it was yeah it, I can't I couldn't believe how it gone from so much fun and just in setting new goals and achieving things to me wanting to take my own life because all I'd become was Tom the athlete and I had to perform all for the wrong reasons it was it, it, you know it was so unnecessary that's um 
massive and well first of all thank you for sharing that i'm very glad you're still here and i think a lot of people <laughs> will be um how how do you go from that process so it's, it's a huge step to ad admit that you need help um, mm, mm. especially going to you know the board effectively yeah. and saying help yeah outright hands open um What's that? What was that actually like? And immediately, I imagine they go, "Okay, like, is it hearing that? Is it immediately like an alarm bell for a lot of people?" Um, but that doesn't mean that instantly you get better. There's a there's a, oh, a long no. process. Yeah, um, well, well, it was it was it was very long. It was it was about two and a half years worth of sort of therapy and support. And um, but I was able just to to carry on. And I started one one of the biggest things that hit home was, and it was such simple advice. Was do you know do the little things that are important that make a difference to your day that might not affect training that might not affect the race or or whatever but you know making Harry a cup of tea in the morning it's just a gesture but it's such a powerful gesture it's just a message to say look I'm just I'm a thought of you first or one exercise I really did and still do just for because I think it's really good is is the sort of your house foundations exercise and it's the foundations that that hold you up and, and that make you 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 know your 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 house wouldn't stand without its four foundations what are they so you know i'll draw a little house and four little uh, arrows off it and then what are they and one can be being an athlete but another one could be being a husband another one could be a, being a dog owner and a good son or or you know a whatever it is a musician a teacher you know all these things make up who you are rather than just the one thing and and you can visualize that and see how important that is and and as i got better and you know i i've never struggled with my mental health at all so i never expected to be somebody in the in that situation but it became more clearer what happiness felt like because it had been so long since i i'd been happy again um, and then naturally in 2020, my performances started to fl fly again. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, that's no coincidence. That's, uh, I mean, it's huge. And it? I think, especially being an athlete, you are so performance based. You're so, you get so caught up on that sort of thing that it's very easy to neglect the outside causes. I mean, a bad performance is often reviewed by athletes as a symptom of, you know, of being a bad athlete. Not that a bad performance is a result of many, many symptoms below the surface of things coming together. Um, and you don't really notice it until, like you said, you focus on the small things, start putting the small things in place. It's like a puzzle. And then mm. you start to get back on that track. And so obviously COVID then hit, <laughs> which uh, is something that everyone has had a different impact with. But when it came to your training and especially coming out from that and dealing with that battle how did how did covid hit you at that point in time yeah I, obviously nobody really knew what, what on earth was going on and we were spring 2020 just a few months away from olympic games and they took forever to to delay the olympic games so all of us were up in the air and basically it was great because i was able to have a few few weeks with harry and a few months in the end with harry at home in the summer so it was really positive there but it was really awful at the same time because I was probably in the form of my life going into 2020. I'd 
set that 5k time and then six days later broken the 10k british record in awful conditions on the road in coventry can we just clarify what time that was again just to blow everyone's mind uh, the 5k was 1820 and the 10k was 39 10 i think comfortably about seven minutes quicker than i've ever <laughs> so thanks for that yeah yeah, yeah. so um that's Oh, it was, that was a great week, and I was just preparing for my first twenty k, and then obviously the world shut down, and I was I was gutted. I went, I took the dog for a walk, and had a big cry in the middle of a field. But everything I'd been through over the last couple of years made me very strong in terms of mentally. That I just went, okay, what can I do? There's nothing anybody can do, and there's far more serious things going on right now than whether I'm going to get to race at my second Olympics or whether I should have gone on one on a medal. And uh, I would. I mean, everyone would everyone would say this, but I those two times, you know, British record and a world lead, one of the fastest times ever, and and I I barely had broken sweat doing them as well. I hadn't missed a day of training. I remember my coach in January 2020 turning around and saying, "Wow, I don't think you've actually missed a single kilometer, let alone a session this this training camp." So I, I was just coming into my peak. I was 30, which is probably a great peak age. Um, I was really fit, happy. And yeah, I wonder if COVID never hit, whether I'd now have a have an Olympic medal around my neck. But we we never know. And unfortunately, I I, I chased a little bit um, in or when when things started to clarify, and you know the Olympics being postponed, athletes were allowed to travel a little bit, and we were given a little bit of leeway. But it was still very difficult. Um, I I tried to chase that fitness and ended up getting injured um, in my back, which ultimately led me to retire last last year um and and then and yeah i finished at 20th or something in in tokyo olympics and i i crossed the line and i was relieved there um and i was proud that i got through the race one thing i was saying i was not going to finish i was in a lot of pain and i was saying sorry i'm not going to drop out i am going to finish yep um and and yeah that was a different sort of pride in that in that achievement but i i know it would have been a year earlier it would have been really different, but but so there are lots of winners and lots of losers from COVID, so I I really can't complain. Yeah, and I think um, going into retirement always is one of the scariest things as an athlete because you never really want it to end. No, <laughs> it feels I I, th I think something that's so funny is you think about the word retirement. Yeah. Generally speaking, you're talking about people that are you know 60s, 70s, that sort of thing. <laughs> Not but for, for an athlete, but at the same time, it. it I can imagine it does almost feel in a way that like that's all that's left is being old because well, yeah. you've, you've done so much training and for that all to end it's a bit of a it must be a scary thing to to look at it, it was more the life the lifestyle i was like oh i don't want to get a job <laughs> yeah you know or, or it was more what am i going to do next um and so when i decided at the end of at the end of 2021 i was considering it and and you know, put a few things in place, whether that be the, for the following year or for after Paris. Because my aim was always to try and make it to a third Olympics at that, excuse me, at that point. And um, I I was sensible and I said, right, I'm going to start putting things in place and think about retiring because I'm in so much pain. So it was more, it was more the lifestyle and, and, you know, what I did next and, you know, knowing that I never have that high and, and unless you've, you know, ever done professional sport or even sort of amateur sport and, and won something you don't even know what that feeling's like let alone then to 
then have it and then know you're never going to have it again. That was really frightening because, hey, who doesn't love winning? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and and there were so many question marks over it. But one thing was clear was that my body was telling me to stop. And I was stuck in two minds of, do I plod on and make a third Olympics and finish 20th or 30th again? But haven't I already done that? You know, haven't I already been there at, at major championships of working my way up? Haven't I got now more important things to be doing, like getting married, you know, building a career, being motivated and excited by that? And and that's what really became clear that I was more excited about what I would do next, even though it was daunting. I was like, I was, I'm ready to throw myself into something new. And the moment I finished, I, I, I competed at the Commonwealth Games in 22, 2022. And then I wanted to say thank you to my home club. So I had a bit of a farewell race, a short track race, where I invited like loads of local youngsters along that are competing and some of my old rivals or... Beat or them all. Uh, you beat them all. <laughs> uh, but but it was a nice sort of send off. My first coach was there, um, my parents. And it was just a great, great day. But the moment I crossed that line, the relief that it was done and my body would never have to go through that ever again was very, very pleasing because it was, yeah, 13, well, 20 years of doing it, but 13 years of training twice a day, every day had taken its toll. I can imagine. And uh, I mean, now that you are retired <laughs> uh, in the young athletic sense, yeah. um, what, what, is, what does the life of Tom look like now? Oh, non-stop, which I knew it would be. Uh, that's the sort of person I, I am. I, I My day job now is working back in track and field, um, working with athletes in more of sort of a management role, sorting them out, contracts and, and things I learned along the way in sort of social media and how, how to sort of put your name out there, stick your head above the rest, how you sort of get support get funding get get sponsors and that sort of thing so now i work with a brilliant management company and um, support the next generation of track and field superstars hopefully uh, i really love that because it's keeping me in the sport it keeps me track side but uh yeah non non-stop i do a bit in the media as well does a bit of sky sports uh, i've got my first radio host uh gig i guess coming up uh, in a few weeks uh, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to say what it is, so I won't. But um, yeah. As soon as it's out, I'll share it. Yeah. So don't worry. Uh, so that's all awesome. Um, you know, I do quite a lot of commercial work is what I call it. You know, yeah, encouraging people via my social media with um, just to get into walking. because It's just such a great entry point to fitness and exercise. You know, you don't have to go race walking at the speeds I do. Just go go walk from your front door. It's free. It gives you some fresh air. It allows you to, you know, take a few minutes for yourself and and that's a big passion of mine is encouraging people to be more active and fitting that into your routine rather than fitting ex exercise or sport into your life i think it's quite hard whereas if you can fit a walk into into your daily routine the impact will be massive on both your physical and mental health and do, do you still i mean not necessarily speed walk but do you do you still walk do you run instead now what's your sort of active lifestyle like yeah i'm now uh, i'm doing i have a bit of fun on on social media i'm trying to run faster than i used to walk which because i'm only running a few times a week is actually harder than i realized it was going to be so i've got to really commit to that and we've potentially got a bit of a race we're going to do a target a 10k next summer and i'm going to 
try and run it faster than I could walk it. I mean, I've got to run a 10K in basically under 39 minutes. So, yeah, whatever that is, 354 a a kilometre. So uh, that just puts it all into perspective and it reminds me of sort of the level I got to. Yeah, and uh, something you've spoken about um, in getting people into walking. Mm. If uh, if someone's listening to this, it's actually a pretty solid runner and has never even given a glimpse into walking. Because of the the huge biomechanic difference, yeah. What would be your your sort of recommendations on on how to give it a go? What what you really need to know? Yeah, I mean, we've actually seen quite a few runners uh, that perhaps often would pick up similar injuries, so would switch to race walking. One about fifteen years ago was very very good at it, and she ended up winning the Commonwealth Games. So uh, it does work. Yeah, it's just learning that technical side and and trying to master that sort of heel strike front leg landing straight it's very very difficult but once you master that if you're a good runner already you've got the aerobic side so give it a go plenty of athletics clubs have race walking coaches down down this end of the world down in kent and sorry and those sorts of places and i'm just starting to put a few together up in the north uh, in in northeast and northwest so uh yeah there's plenty plenty of opportunities like that but i tell people to go and walk a park run because i just think it's it's free it's accessible and You'll be surprised you can probably beat a few runners and just by sort of power walking, I guess, you know, put you all into it and and see what you can achieve. So we've touched on, you know, advice of how to get into it. But um something I have decided is a is a good way for me to ask a tough question. Mm. Oh God, what are you three pieces of advice for yourself. So if you were locked in a room with three different versions of you. Who would they be and what would you tell that person? Yeah, I mean, I've had a sort of a similar question in the past. And to be honest, I would always say, most people ask me, would you change anything? I say no, because it was just so fantastic. But if I go back to young me, you know, probably 19 year old me to start with, just on the brink of making a British team and go to Leeds, I'd say try a bit harder. You know, stop being a teenage brat and just try a little bit harder because things are going to get good. And if you try a little bit harder now, they might get good quicker. So that's what thing I'd, I'd tell myself there. And I'd also then go back to probably um, probably 2012 me, uh, having just missed out the Olympic Games, and it all gets very serious. And that in five years' time, how that will come back to bite me and go keep doing what you're doing but chill out you know chill out it's gonna go well but just focus on way more than walking fast because there's way more to you and to life um and enjoy it a little bit more which is such a cliche thing because you never really do enjoy anything you do in the moment you never quite do you might be enjoying yourself or you might be focused on it but you never really take a moment and enjoy yourself. Now, this sounds really cheesy, but I got off a London bridge today, had my headphones in with a bit of music, and I was going down the escalator, and a new London bridge, you could see all set out. Everything, yeah. I just watched everybody go by, and, and, and I had this sort of love actually moment in a movie sort of come, up, come up over me, because nowadays I just take a second every now and then and, and smile. And people around, if they saw me, they would be like, what a creep. What so is, this is this, this is something I've had to deal with. Because when I, I was living in the Midlands for a while, I came down to London and I, I was like, oh, 
everyone's a little bit unhappy on the yeah. underground. Let me give them a smile. That oh, no, you don't do smile. that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you do not do that. You become the, the London weirdo. Yeah, like yeah. But you're right. You have to sort of take in what's around And it was you. just for me. And smiling makes yourself feel great. Like, it really does. And and uh, the third piece of advice is, you know, I was away a lot. And it was just to treasure time with those that you don't realise how important they are to you or, or maybe you do but that they could be friends that you don't see very often or or your family that you really care and treasure about because this year we, we lost my mum-in-law and oh god she was so young and just what a wonderful person and I took her for granted like we all did because you just you never expect your sort of parents or in-laws to pass away especially young so that's probably the last piece of advice I'd give to myself throughout my life is goodness me that could have been the last time you see somebody. So, you know, get off, put your phone down, close the laptop, take the headphones out and just speak to people, hug, laugh and, and yeah, treasure those every day. Yeah. And for those that are listening in literally a couple of minutes, we'll be done. So you don't have to take the headphones out right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that's really good advice. And it's something that I definitely try and implement myself because you don't know how many days you're going to have with someone else you don't know how many days you're going to have your, yourself and yeah. so you want to take advantage of all of that um so very very insightful i do have one slightly more silly question to ask <laughs> okay. before we, we round up which is uh where is the olympic rings tattoo oh on my forearm got it on your forearm yeah. is there like a is there a solid place that olympians are supposed to put it or is it free roam no no and there's no there's no expectation to get it and do you have two for the two olympics or no, just no. the one i nearly which i was really glad i didn't that this was me in 2016 being cocky i nearly got rio and then i was going to get tokyo and then paris hopefully uh, and i'm glad i did it because i would have just had rio and tokyo and then yeah. the, the, the third top one would have been empty and that would have looked really stupid <laughs> cool well um it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and i really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing what you have shared i love chatting um where can everybody find you and like what, drop your socials, everything that they can support? Yeah, I mean, you, you've probably seen one of my random walking fast racing <laughs> races video uh, do, doing the rounds on online. But yeah, at Tom Bosworth on, on anything from TikTok, Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's that's me. Awesome. And for anyone that's uh, listening to this, I usually congratulate everyone because they've done a good job of finding it already. <laughs> uh, but likewise, it's at mindsets underscore podcast on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everything. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want to you wanna get to know Tom a little bit more, then we, this is also on YouTube. So you can, you can have a look at us. Um, and, uh, and if you're watching us and you would really rather just be listening to us, then no offense taken. We are still on Spotify and other <laughs> streaming websites. Um, but it's been, like I said, an absolute pleasure to have you on. And uh, yeah, to you guys, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks very much. <laughs>